Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Stuart McCullough, the CEO of VHAA. Joining me for this week's discussion is Senior Workplace Relations Consultant, Emma Scott. Welcome, Emma. Hey, Stuart. Emma, there are two components to the clue that will suggest the topic for today's discussion. The first one will appear on screen now. So for the benefit of those people who are listening to this podcast rather than watching, can you describe the picture? Um, I'm not sure what time period it's from, but I do remember that person. It's a particular um, fruitier, uh, and his name was Con from my memory. Uh, thank you for the age shaming. Uh, yes, that is Conal Fruiterer, and that was regarded as funny sometime before you were born. <laughs> uh, the second image is now on screen. Um, and then we've got, I think that looks like probably most likely salt. I certainly hope so. Uh, yes, uh, that is indeed salt uh, as, as such. So we've got two elements. Having regard for those two clues, what would you say the subject for today's discussion is? Well, Stuart, I think this time you've actually put an easy clue together for me. So con and then salt is maybe it's something around consultation. Uh, Emma, that is that is completely on the mark. Uh, I'm not used to saying that uh, as such, but yes, we're talking about consultation, but specifically we're talking about the consultation clause under the Allied Health Professionals Agreement. And uh, whilst there are a lot of terms here that are similar to those in other agreements, there are some variations and we'll be focusing in on those variations. So we're going to go through, in fact, two clauses, one about consultation and the other one about consultation for changes to rosters and hours of work uh, and comparing those against the old terms, highlighting the changes. But first of all, Emma, why are we uh, covering two clauses in this podcast? That one's actually a simple answer as well. So it's just in relation to the, both clauses essentially deal with the processes that employers have to follow when it comes to proposing particular changes. So they used to be under the one clause, but we have now separated them out like we have in other agreements where the um, larger consultation process for major change is clause 13 and the regular roster changes are in clause 13A. And that's like what we did in other agreements. No surprise there uh, that we would do the same thing here. Let's start with clause 13, uh, consultation. When is this clause triggered? When do employers need to go through the process in clause 13? So that process is, really needs to be followed when employers make a major change where there may be a significant effect on employees, either one or a group of employees. Okay, so two, two elements to that trigger. There needs to be a major change uh, that may have a significant effect. So the new agreement does provide some amendments to the definition of a major change uh, as well as significant effect. But can we start with the amendments to the definition of major change? Yeah, so uh, major change, we've got the definition on screen and we've actually underlined uh, those changes. So what we've got is some additional examples. So we've got about um, talking about if you make a change to the workforce size, that is a major change. And then we've also got examples about workplace arrangements. So for example, the introduction of an on-call roster, after hours or weekend roster, or also how the work is organised. And there's also the, that additional uh, provision on screen there about um, uh, a major change that may have a significant effect um, regardless of whether it's permanent or temporary, still requires consultation under the clause under clause 13. 
Yeah, yeah, that is correct. That's a new addition, but I guess the status quo really. Okay, so uh, employees whose work area, for example, has never had an on-call roster or has never done after hours work or weekend work that hasn't been part of that, that work function, that area. Um, so if an on-call roster or after hours work or weekend work is being introduced to an area, then uh, that's a change to the working arrangements uh, at the workplace. So consultation under clause 13 uh, would be required as opposed to say that that other process under 13A. Yeah, yeah, that's um, correct. So it's because you're making a major change by introducing a new work arrangement that hasn't been had before in that particular area or part of the service that you've got. Um, in relation to the example about the how work is organised, uh, an example there where it would be triggered is say, for example, employers might do rostering through a self rostering process with employees and they no longer want to do self rostering or also in the alternative, you may want to um, introduce self rostering when you don't already do self rostering. So how you're organising the work is being done in a different manner. So that would um, in effect require consultation under clause 13. And um, that other part, which is you know, the major change doesn't need to be forever uh, in order for there to be a requirement for consultation. It's really, you know, is there a major change? Does it have a significant effect? So. The key uh, factor for the last change is just confirming that uh, if it's a major change, it has a significant effect that's occurring for, for a period of time, say 12 months, um, that doesn't detract from the need to consult. Yes, that's correct. That obligation is still there. Okay, so we know that there are two elements to trigger this clause, major change. We've just gone through the amendments to the major change provision. Uh, really, that takes us to the second element, which is significant effect. Uh, what are the changes with respect to significant effect? So we've inserted some new subclauses on screen and they come from the medical scientist agreement. So that's about impacts on workload of employees and then also changes to shifts slash rosters, including new shifts and rostering requirements. So new to this agreement, but not new to the sector. Uh, are there any uh, small changes that were made to consultate to the consultation clause that are similar to those made under other public sector agreements? Uh, yes, there are. So we've got them on screen. So the first one we have on screen is about workplace change includes but is not limited to technological change. That's deleted and that's essentially because that was already covered in the major change definition. We also um, amended to clarify that consultation includes uh, reasonable steps to people on leave, which would also include workers' compensation. So that's just amended for clarity purposes. And then also in relation to the relevant information that is given to staff in step one, uh, you have to give the current position descriptions that might be affected um, and then also the ones that are proposed to be changed and revised. And then also uh, a risk assessment needs to be provided where there's OHS impacts. So that's in line with all the other other clauses. So those are the things uh, that have been changed to reflect other agreements. Let's get to the changes that are unique to allied health professionals. And we know that these variances are challenging for employers and that they, um, they create inefficiencies uh, in that they have uh, amendments to the process, I guess, or inconsistencies across agreements in terms of process. So we do need to spend some time here. What are these um, these unique provisions for the allied health professionals clause? Yeah, so there is quite a few. So starting, I guess, at subclause 13.1D, which we've got on screen, um, 
DI essentially outlines that implementation can't occur before the consultation steps are completed unless there's um, agreement with affected employees and the union to um, do so. Uh, and this means that employers and affected employees uh, can agree to reduce, um, to really to expedite um, uh, past the steps for a particular change. Uh, for example, if there was some urgency. Yeah, yeah, correct. So it's only when there is um, agreement. So if there is an agreement, then you just have to go through the steps, which is essentially the status quo. And I guess we have had certain circumstances where employers and in the union with COVID have been actually applying consultation in, in that manner in some instances already. Uh, and what about subclause D, Roman numeral 2? So that really essentially um, confirms that the consult pre consultation process shouldn't be used to uh, prevent or frustrate the major change from going through. Which is sort of really the, um, the, uh, really the other side of the coin. You know, on the one hand, um, you can't skip over the steps and, and simply implement, but uh, on the other, yeah, it can't be that the process is used to frustrate, and we know that that's a key concern for employers. Um, although it does also acknowledge that you know, the, the fact of a dispute about non-compliance uh, is not proof positive that a party is trying to prevent or frustrate major uh, frustrate major change. Yeah, that's correct. So there might be genuine concerns regarding non-compliance. So raising a dispute as a sole act doesn't mean that a party is trying to prevent or frustrate major change. So there's a, a new subclause at 13.1e. Can you take us through that? Uh, yep. So we've also got that on screen. And really that clarifies that each step of the consultation process must be completed before going on to the next step. It should be a statement of the obvious. That's yeah. Right steps. Yeah, yeah, that is um, correct. Um, but also it does talk about that where you have complied as an employer with the consultation clause and basically affected employees, their union or their representative have chosen not to participate or respond um, despite giving being given a reasonable opportunity to do so, you as an employer aren't prevented from progressing. Uh, next yeah, steps. It's one of those, uh, another one of those two sides of the coin. Um, you know, employers need to go through the steps but failing to participate in those steps um, doesn't prevent you from, from, from moving ahead. So really that ensures that employers don't get stuck at a particular step if uh, affected employees or representatives uh, don't participate. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. If you've um, ticked that off as an employer, you can confidently um, proceed through the consultation process. So it's, it's funny, it's actually um, not simply that they more than just not participating, but within having had a reasonable opportunity, so really time is uh, is an issue because I know that one of the things that is a challenge for employers is the timeliness of responses sometimes from from employee representatives. Yeah, yeah, that can um cause can issues sometimes. So, what about changes to the consultation steps themselves? Are there any changes to those provisions? Uh, so there were, other than what we've already mentioned in terms of information to staff, and that was where we added two new clauses, um, subclause 13.4b and 13.4c, which we've got on screen. Okay, so really um, the first subclause 13.4b is similar to the one found in other public sector agreements around, you know, if a party has a problem with a change impact statement, uh, that they need to raise it as soon as practicable. Um, rather than hang on to that concern to raise at the last minute. 
Yeah, yeah, that's um, correct. The only thing we've kind of got additionally drafted in there just is about um, it might actually occur after step two has been completed. Uh, that was the only slight addition in drafting that we've put there. And that's possible, um, but you know, generally you expect that that would not be the case. Yeah, yeah, correct. There might be something where it's only um, come up at the last minute, but really it's it's meant to be if it's clear at the start that a piece of information is missing, then essentially you try and resolve that quickly versus at the end of the process. Yes, and in terms of the reason for that difference, I think it's fair to say it's 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 a desire to cover all possible um, permutations uh, rather than what is most likely. Yes. So, I, so I take it that's because sometimes it may not be clear until later on that the, the uh, that a piece of information was was missing. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. What about subclause thirteen point four C? Uh, so that's another one where it's different to other agreements. So what it talks about is a particular provision where it outlines that where the union requests a meeting prior to step two, that either might be clarifying the proposed change or to actually obtain the relevant information that they might think is missing for step one or to talk about it in step two, that you would um, meet with the union basically on in a reasonable time frame. And really, that should be a statement of the obvious. The whole point of this process is around engagement. Uh, and that, of course, is really intended to assist resolving you know, possible disputes about step one. Yeah, yeah, correct. So again, the sooner, um, the better that those things are resolved in the process at the start. So having earlier said that it's important that employers don't skip over the steps, we're going to skip over the steps. In particular, we're moving from step one to step six. Uh, there are some changes to step six as well. Yeah, yep. Step six, six were um, so there were some additions to that in terms of subclause 13.9a Roman numeral one, and then also 13.9b. Let's deal with those in turn. Let's start with what's changed at 13.9a Roman numeral one. So it is an existing clause, but we've added some words there. So that is underlined on screen, and that's really about confirming when the change will be implemented and that that shall not be less than seven days from the date of the written advice about the outcome. So employers can't implement the change one day after the outcome of consultation is confirmed by the employer in writing. Uh, correct, they can't. Uh, it can only be implemented seven days from that um, date. And again, this also goes to an issue that employers experience where they get to the end and are wondering whether or not they can proceed. Uh, this provides certainty in that respect, um, deals with a common concern that employers have had. What about subclause 13.9b? Uh, so that's a new subclause where there is a dispute raised within seven days of when that written notification is given. Uh, and then it references 13.10b um, applying when that circumstance happens. Okay, so um, that takes us then, um, the logical thing that that takes us to is 13.10b. What does 13.10b provide then? Uh, yep, so um, there's a couple of uh, clause there and subclauses there that we've got on screen. So the first part of that clause essentially um, confirms that clause 14.2 of the dispute resolution um, procedure clause applies and really that's just highlighting some of the things we thought were important to uh, highlight, which is generally attempting to resolve the dispute and really trying to um, 
get that done quickly, along with uh, the commonly referred to as the status quo provisions in the dispute clause. So all those elements are in the dispute clause and there's no doubt that the dispute resolution clause uh, applies. So really those aren't new provisions. No, no, they, um, the link between the two isn't. Uh, the dispute resolution process really should have always been followed under the previous agreement. Uh, and will we will we be doing a separate podcast on the dispute resolution clauses in the new uh, Allied Health Professionals Agreement? Yeah, yep, we will be. And we'll also include the independent um, dispute resolution panel as well in that process. So just um, stepping back to the changes specific to consultation and disputes, there's a new process at subclause 13 C where a dispute is raised about an alleged failure to consult. Yeah. So that clause is really applicable where there is a dispute raised, where some uh, employee or the union might say, I don't think you have consulted, but you should have consulted, and that there's a requirement that you would need to reverse the situation to the status quo prior to the change being implemented. Okay, so that's the, that is the assumption, uh, but there are some exclusions to that, that requirement, which is really about you know, how to give effect to the current dispute resolution clause. But what yeah. are the exceptions, Anne? Uh, so, yeah, the exclusions are listed at subclause 13.10C, Roman numeral 1 to 4. And so where the employer alleges that the there isn't actually a failure to consult and they make an application to the Commission in accordance with 13.10D within seven days of the dispute being uh, notified. So 13.D will go over a little bit later, but that is just um, people should be aware that there is a time frame on that in which they should, um, I guess, not agree with it, make an application to the Commission. And then if step six, you've written the outcome, then if a dispute isn't raised within seven days, there's an exclusion. And then there also might be a situation where an affected employees or the union might agree that you don't actually have to reverse the, the change. Because the effect on patients or the effect on other employees um, might be a circumstance where that occurs. So where the employer disputes the, an alleged value to consult, um, when does the require, and which is commonly the case, um, in fact, that's probably 90% of, of disputes about consultation is that there is a dispute as to whether there's been a failure to consult. When does the requirement to reverse uh, the change apply? So it won't um, apply until the matter is dealt with in accordance with 13.10D. And what does 13.10D provide? So we've got 13.10D on screen, and really that is in relation to where the party to the dispute might seek an interim decision or by agreement, a recommendation of the Commission regarding basically the reversal of the implemented change, either in part or whole, uh, by the while the dispute's actually being resolved. I think, you know, uh, we've made the observation and I know members um, have made the observation that consultation is one of the things that has been a very, very difficult area um, within um, within health. And I think what this does is it really provides an incentive to get to the Commission early, go much earlier. And I think that's probably going to be a key way to get some improvements in this area. So the clause outlines the kind of things that the Commission might consider. 
Yeah, yeah, correct. They're also on screen as well. So we've got the impact of reversing and not reversing the change on the employer and affected employees. So um, one of those might be that um, employees have already made particular arrangements such as caring arrangements and so neg might negatively um, impact those if the change is reverted. So that's a possible example of that. Um, then in relation to the uh, second one, that's about whether the employer has complied with the steps. So that is the importance of going through the steps that you were saying before. Yeah, yeah, correct. Making sure, well, actually, have they been done or not? So that's, I guess, a bit of discovery. Um, and then the next one on screen there is really about um, the compliance with the dispute resolution procedure about 14.2, which we kind of highlighted earlier. Which, yeah, yeah, the dispute resolution procedure has a range of obligations, including genuinely trying to resolve the dispute. Yes, yes, correct. Um, and then the last one is any other matter that the Commission considers relevant. So one of those might be the impact on patients and service delivery. Okay, so there's a bit in there. Um, those are the main changes about consultation and major change under Clause 13. And I guess that provides us uh, with something of a segue to uh, Clause 13A, which is um, a more limited process, which is headed consultation about changes to rosters or hours of work. Yeah, so uh, as mentioned earlier, we've separated the clause and out, and then with the separation, we've also, like other enterprise agreements, put a note, which we've got on screen, which is just a preceding um, statement explaining that the clause um, applies where a change to a regular roster or ordinary hours of work don't constitute a change um, in accordance with the clause 13, which is the one around a major change and a significant effect. So it covers the things that are not those. And in terms of this clarification, this clarification is actually taken from the explanatory memorandum. So 13A is a compulsory term under the Fair Work Act, and we got that clarification um, that's on screen there from the explanatory memorandum as to what, what its purpose was, because we just uh, we found that the, its purpose wasn't clear to members. It wasn't clear when it was 13 or when it was 13A. Yeah. Uh, but taking into account the amended major change and significant effect, what's an example of where this clause 13A might be triggered? Uh, so an example is, say you've got a part-time employee in their regular roster or ordinary hours are Monday to Tuesday, and the employer wants to change those days of work from a Thursday to a Thursday to Friday, and that's not as a result of a major change. So what about other um, changes to clause 13A? So we did some um, additional drafting just talking about that the particular clause doesn't override any other clauses in the agreement, for example, rosters and hours of work clause. Which again, uh, statement of the obvious, I think it's um, really born of a desire to seek to cover the field as it were. Um, yeah, yep, correct. And uh, so that takes us to the end of clause 13 and indeed clause 13A. Because of the, the variances, particularly with clause 13A, um, look, the obvious question, Emma, is will there be additional materials for members to support implementation? Yeah, so we'll also issue a short uh, summary of the changes that we've highlighted in this um, podcast as well. And where will members find uh, that short summary of the changes? So we'll upload it to Yammer and then we'll also upload it to the MyIR um, under supplementary information where you can go look at the Allied Health Professionals Agreement. So, and that is, uh, for those who aren't familiar, that is the general practice where 
if there is supplementary information that it ends up on the website uh, under the under supplementary info information. Emma, thank you so much for taking us to the changes to Clause 13 consultation and Clause 13A uh, consultation with respect to changes to hours of work and rosters under the brand new Allied Health Professionals Agreement. Thanks, Rudy. You're welcome. Thank you.